Hi to all our listeners. This is Coach Chelsea, the host of the Servant Leader Coaches Bible Study, a place where athletes, coaches, and athletic professionals come together to talk about faith, sports, and servant leadership. We hope that this podcast blesses you. If there's anything we could do for you, please find us at the Chelsea F on Twitter, at Chief Friend John, C H E F R A N J O H N on Instagram and streaming live at Chelsea F. Muir on Facebook. We pray that you continue to be blessed and continue to serve as God would ask us to. All right, everybody. I want to thank you for joining us again for another episode of the Servant Leader Coaches Bible Study. I'm your host, Coach Chelsea, and I'm super excited to join you guys again for just another great conversation of servant leadership, of faith, of sports. This has been an amazing month where we observed the first year of this platform and this podcast, and we've been talking about the servant leader's arsenal and what it takes to truly be built as a servant leader, what we need to continue to serve as Jesus Christ would ask us to as coaches and leaders, and there was no way that I didn't reach out to servant leader Dr. Hal Wilson, who's with us today. I'm excited. We actually share some combined groups that we follow in. And, you know, we actually have been in a circle for a bit and it was time to get them on this podcast. So I thank you so much just for your time and agreeing to be here. I know time is the most important thing because in life we can't give it back. I can't exchange it once you give it to me. So I thank you for being here today. And I'm going to pass the torch to you to introduce yourself to our listeners and we'll get this conversation started. Awesome. Well, first of all, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. I truly mean that. And what you're doing with this to, to reach people all over the, the country and the world is uh, truly, truly a blessing. Uh, I've enjoyed uh, going back and, and watching as many as I can, listening on the podcast and watching uh, the videos and, uh, you know, the different speakers from different areas and different levels. It's been uplifting to me. So it's a uh, uh, humbling and uh, exciting and challenging to think about. I'm going to follow in those footsteps, but I'm going to trust the Lord to lead me in the right way. But I'm now an associate professor of coaching education at Georgia Southern. Uh, we are the second university in the country to be nationally accredited in coaching education at the undergraduate and graduate level. So what that means is I coach the coaches. I've coached for 25 years, and then I transitioned. Uh, sometimes we say, put your uh, money where your mouth is. Well, how about putting your life where your mouth is? So coaches were important to me. So uh, me and my wife prayed. We were trying to decide which direction we were going to go. And we ended up uh, selling everything we own, selling our house, selling my, my truck, selling everything. I had uh, one daughter at the time. Now we have three beautiful kids. And we moved uh, back to Tennessee, where I'd met my wife about 20 years before when I was a graduate assistant with men's basketball. And she was a graduate assistant with Lady Vols Marketing. And I uh, went and got my Ph.D., not sure where in the country I was going to end up. I uh, thought I was going to be teaching sport management. And then a position opens here. Uh, unfortunately, there's not enough coaching ed programs in the country, but there is a fantastic one here and a position to open. And I was lucky enough to get the job here. So I've been here seven years. So all day, every day, I invest in coaches. Uh, our master's is fully online. So we get coaches of every sport, every level, you know, from Alaska to Florida, all over the country. So uh, that's what I'm doing now. But uh, so I'm excited to, to join this journey with you. For sure. And you already came out the gates, like, 
batting a thousand. I'm sitting here like couldn't even click my pen on before you laid one on me. And I and I love that because we do. We so often hear people say, put your money where your mouth is. And you've changed the game up. You said, I put my life where my mouth is. And I think that's amazing. We, you know, we'll hear people always say that, you know, walk it like I talk it, which is a famous song. And that's one of the things I find with servant leaders. They don't just talk the talk. They walk the walk. And I love that. I have that down. I'm going to be using that. Just letting you know. <laughs> you know, the the central theme of this month um, and, and which will carry forward to, you know, continue in year two is the servant leaders arsenal. And that was a term that, you know, the Lord really gave to me. I prayed and I said, you know, we started this in the midst of a global pandemic, right? It was April 6th of last year. We really thought that it was about spring break for everybody. We really thought that once this thing was established, we would come back and it would be okay. And little did we know the world literally paused. No one knew. It didn't matter gender, race, status, beliefs. We are in that same position. And over a year, God has allowed me to connect with so many amazing people. And I said, you know, God, I really just want an amazing thing to push us and allow us to have a platform and have a playbook that when people hear those words, servant leadership, what they can go by. And so the servant leader's arsenal is what he gave. And that's one of the things I've just been kind of asking leaders like yourself. When you look at that arsenal and you open it up to a servant leader, can you talk to us a little bit about what are some of those tools that should be in that toolbox and in our arsenal of a servant leader? Absolutely. You know, and the thing, you know, I've thought a lot about this when you asked me and prayed a lot about it. And there's so many things you could talk about it. And sometimes even as a coach, I was kind of a problem. You can overload your players with too much information. Right? Yeah, for sure. And there's so many ways I could take this. But the thing that God kept putting on my heart was really just from uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 33. Uh, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. And if you think about that, if you break that down and all the mistakes that I've made in my coaching career, and I've made a bunch. Sometimes I tell people, I, I tell coaches what not to do because that's what I've done. But I was also lucky. I coached in nine programs from youth to major college division one. And uh, we won a championship in eight of the nine uh, or set a school record for wins. The only one we didn't, uh, we played for a championship. The one year I helped out with the middle school when I was getting my doctorate and everyone was different. Um, but mistakes and the bad things that have happened in my career are when I didn't do that, when I didn't seek first. So what are you seeking first? What is your attitude? Are you seeking rings or redemption? Okay. So I know a lot of your viewers and listeners got better ones than this, but I brought a cup. Here's an SEC championship ring. I was fortunate enough to get yes, the state championship ring, right? And these rings are awesome. They're symbols, right? But they've never sent me a text or a message or a letter and said, coach, I got the job. Coach, I'm getting married. Coach, we're having kids. Co they've never done that. Right? But the people do. So it's the people that matter. And then beyond that right, is the redemption from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What are you seeking first? Right? Because these rings are awesome. However, you know, it says in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, you know, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there. Your heart will be also, I worked for a coach who was best friends with Michael Jordan, right? Jordan gave him one of his bulls championship rings, right? Somebody broke in, stole the ring. Right? Oh man. Kelly Harper is the head coach at Tennessee now. She was actually in my dissertation. My dissertation was on Christian college basketball coaches and 
I studied her when she was at her previous program. She won three national championships in her office there. They were stolen. Scott Frost, head football coach in Nebraska, had his championship ring stolen from his office. These rings can be gone, right? But what lasts? Is that the, uh, it's so easy to get caught up in getting that next job, getting that promotion, getting a bigger job, better job, a college job, a higher level, right? And so in our research, we talk about that's conquest coaching. You're coaching just for the conquest, trying to achieve that something versus complete coaching is where you're looking at the holistic care of your athletes, right? We have a mutual friend, uh, Brian Benator. He posts a lot of stuff about one shining moment, the song they play, right? Yeah. I love it with his son, you know, but are we, is, what are we seeking first? Are we seeking one shining moment on the court? Are we seeking eternal salvation? What really matters, right? Championships or your calling? What are you called to do, right? So coaching is a calling. It's not just a profession, right? It's a way for you to impact the people and the communities that you're in. And it does not matter. I went from being a JV coach in the mountains of North Carolina, right? So I, I was a GA then at Tennessee. We were in the top four, you know, we were getting ready to play Kentucky, who was ranked on ESPN. And I remember sitting in the hotel before that game saying, you know what? This game does not matter any more to the people playing it than that JV game I coached last year. Now, there's more other people watching it. ESPN's there and all this. But to the people involved, it's the same, right? And your calling is to impact those people because the two most influential people in my life, other than my family, were my high school football coach and my college basketball coach. They absolutely changed the direction of my life and the way I do things and, and why I do things. So what are we seeking first? Coach, let me tell you something. And, and, and you've listened to the podcast and you've listened in times where I talk to other people and you know I get excited. I get excited when words, they just pierce me in my gut. And I think that's amazing because it, it is true. You know, I tell people all the time, you know, Brian, who's actually been on and is a servant leader, and many of the coaches that we share and our, you know, same shared group, we talk about, yes, every coach wants to win. Okay. Every coach is competitive. Yes. But how do you define win? Right. And so then you took it a step further and you said, not only, you know, what are we seeking? Seeking first. So are we seeking rings of redemption? But then you took it a step further and you said, what's more important championships are our calling. And I think that's amazing because I used to tell people I struggled a lot with the fact that I am, you know, I work in the vineyard. Like my grandfather, you said, you got to work wise day, baby, because when night comes, no man can work. And so I sing in my church choir. I help out when I'm needed. And when basketball season comes along, it's a little bit hard, right? Because, you know, we have practices, we're out of town, all of these things. And I would feel bad. And a coach came on this platform and said, no, because what you have to understand is that's your calling and coaching is your pulpit. And, and it changed my perspective. And mm -hmm. I hear and watch what you just said as coaches, we can't lose sight of the calling. We can't lose sight of why God placed us there. Do we want to win? Absolutely. But are we sacrificing the child to win the game? And I love how you place that. We can't, we can't forget our calling focusing so much on the championship. Because let me tell you something. I want to win that great championship in the sky. I'm telling you that coach right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. I want to win <laughs> for sure. You know, there's just been a lot. I mean, in this coaching world, when we sit and we think and we look at, you know, being a coach, being a leader, educating these young people. And as you said, coaching the coaches, that was the whole goal beyond why God allowed this platform to open up. 
was to be able to give coaches a place where I don't care if we have our husbands, wives, our family, unless you're in this thing, you don't get it all. You don't get all the sentiments and you coach the coaches. And, and I think that's amazing because we need that. Can you talk a little bit about if we were to talk about some of those things coaches need that are intangibles, right? We know they have X's and O's and clinics like that, but some of the things that coaches need that are intangibles to help push them through, especially years like this year in a pandemic, what would you say, coach? Because mental health is real. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, most importantly, again, you have to know why you're coaching. What are you seeking? All right. So you, what is your why? What are your values? But I'll give you an example of, I got my first high school head job. I was 26, right? And I thought, man, I, I've been lucky to learn from great defensive coaches, great offensive coaches. We, we won SC championship and all these things. I'm like, man, I got this system. I really want my players to love the offense, right? I know it's going to work. I want them to love this offense because you know, we carved up people. I, I had given it to some other people that had gotten head jobs before me, man. They're like, yeah, that's the deal. Versus my last head job. So I got a, a varsity girls head job. And the most important thing was not, I didn't want the players to love the offense. I wanted the players to know they were loved, right? I literally wrote on the board, you are loved. First thing, first meeting, you are loved. Make or miss, win or lose, right? Your production as a player doesn't equal how much I care for you as a person. And when you do that, you'll get more out of your players. You'll get more buy-in. So why do I want to work? Coach, you're telling me you want me to work out on my own because I can't come to the gym because of pandemic? Why would I work out in the backyard, right? They do it because they're committed to their teammates and to you and the vision that you've established. They're not going to do it because you threaten them with playing time or you threaten them because you have to, or that's what we do here, right? You might say, all right, well, you got whatever it is. You're going to do uh, 50 crunches a day. Well, they might do 50 because they're scared of you, but they're not going to do 51 and they're not going to bring somebody with them, right? So why are you doing what you're doing? How does that infiltrate everything about your program? And it can't just be on the shirts or on the wall. It's got to be in everything you do. It's constantly reinforced and you have to live it out. People would rather see a sermon than hear one, right? So how are you showing them you know, that what you do matters and that you are uh, holding yourself to the same standard? You know, I don't know about you, but I grew up in the country church, okay? And so when people say a great point, things may come throwing at them. So y'all better be glad we're virtual because this pen almost flew at you. Uh, and I think that's amazing. You know, I often talk about Christine Kane. People know if you're on here, you know, I love her. But one of the things she always says, she talks about how we are God's love letter. And if we're God's love letter, what are people reading when they read us? And so exactly what you just said, sometimes we're the only sermon people see what we're showing. And that's where a lot of the disconnect comes. And so I think that is so valuable. The key piece that you said in there too, as we're coaching and leading, I don't care the facet, the people, what is it saying? They say, people won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right. And so true, especially with our young people. And so one of the things they will run through a wall for you. I don't care the age. It could be you leading an employee. If they know you care, I can assure you they're going to give you their best efforts. And I think that's amazing. We have to lead and walk it. Like I said, walk it like we talk it. And I think that's amazing, Coach. You know, one of the biggest things that I talk about on this platform is normalizing faith in sports. You know, one of the things we'll see, I don't care if it's the SBs or I don't care if it's a sporting event. And as soon as the athlete is finished, you know, if they win, they come to the camera and out of breath, say, you know, first I want to give honor to God and then they move on. And I think that's great, right? 
But somewhere along the lines, there are individuals who truly are, much as you said, they're seeking to see those sermons and how we walk and how we move, right? But rather it's the title, rather it's the position that we're in. Sometimes people don't feel comfortable, right? Sharing the message of Jesus Christ. Can you give a little light shed or some advice to coaches and leaders as we work to normalize this faith thing in sports? Because honestly, I tell people, coach, this is a platform that unifies so many of our differences, sports. So can you give some advice on how we can work to normalize this faith thing in sports? Well, you made me think about my high school football coach I mentioned earlier, right? And I want to tell two quick stories about how he showed us, right? He was a Christian, right? But I do a lot of research, you know, and my dissertation was on Christian coaches in public universities because it doesn't matter because there are certain things you, you can and can't do, right? For sure. But, but you can show the love. So for example, I, I'm five, not on a good day. I'm not, I was not a freak athlete, right? I was a very average athlete that worked hard. We're doing bench press max. I'm a sophomore. The head coach, Coach Griffin, is, is spotting me, right? So here's the head coach, man. I want to impress him. And I go, and bam, I get pinned. I mean, just pinned. It just crushes me. I can, no, had no chance of getting this, right? He helps me get the weight off. So here's a chance for a coach, right? What could, he could mock me. He could say, you should have been in the weight room more. He could have given me a hard time. But he kind of laughed. And you know what he said? He said, you know, that time you call people by their last name, but he said, Wilson, he said, this is going to be a great story when you're all conference as a senior. Wow. Here I was. I was so embarrassed. I mean, I was at my smallest and he put a dream in my head that I hadn't even thought. Right. So we have such power as coaches. You mentioned after you win the championship. Yes, absolutely. But what after you lose that heartbreaker? What about when the kid gets cut? What about when the kid gets hurt? Right. You have. So what about when your A.D. is on you and doing something crazy you don't agree with? Are you going to show your respect for authority? or your principal, your administration, right? And so that's something that, that I remembered and I tried to do with my players is, is lift them up when they were down, right? And the second thing was, you know, as a coach, you usually don't miss practice. Like it's precious, it's sacred. And there was one day we had two uh, brothers, you know, like a junior and a sophomore on the team that made a bad decision. They weren't bad people, they made a bad decision. They got arrested, breaking and entering, right? Coach calls us, this is pre-social media, news doesn't travel like this. I didn't even know that they've been arrested, but he calls us all together and he says, I'm not going to be at practice today because I'm going to spend time with these two guys because I love them and they need it, all right? Wow, wow, not, not these guys screwed up. They, they, they drug our name down, right? He didn't put them down. And then my last year of coaching, I had a girl get in trouble, made a bad decision, got involved in the law, right? And my administration said, oh, don't, don't even, don't talk about it. You gave me a mission to your team. I said, no, no, I am going to mention it to the team, right? And I told them the story of my coach it was so powerful, right? And I, when I talked to the young lady, she said, please don't tell my teammates. I said, oh, I'm not, you are, right? You're coming in, right? And it was such a moving moment where they, she was able to sincerely apologize. They were able to accept it. We were to take this negative thing and, and, and grow from it, right? That's a sermon that you see right? Versus me telling you, here's what you should do, right? And that's what my coach gave to me. And I tried to give to my players and try to give to my students now. I think those are not only amazing stories, but I think those are things that we can relate to, right? And, and you're right. So often, and one of the things I learned, it's like, you're young and I am, I am young, but I literally just finished my 11th year coaching. So I, told you, I know a few things. I've changed some things from year one to year 11, 
And what I found is much like what you said. Sometimes it is that love that makes all the difference all the time, but how we, how we show that love and for that coach to mispractice, like you say, it's a sacred time. We're not missing that. Okay. Like there's a lot of things, sick, weather, we're going to be at practice, but I can just assure you, and you could probably tell me better than myself, but those two individuals will always remember that. And I'm sure that directed their path moving forward to the choices that they made, that their coach left practice to be with them rather than to belittle you know, they knew what they had done at that point. And I think that's amazing. And more than anything, still repeating that same line that is so effective and true, what sermon mm-hmm. are seeing and is seeing it in action as opposed to telling you. And I think that's amazing, coach. I think that's golden. You know, as we talk even more about just being light, right? We move, you coach, you're a dad, you're a leader, you're a professor, you have different organizations that you're in. It is easy for our vessels to run empty, right? We'll hear people say sometimes, you know, your reason why you're empty and running on E is because you're taking assignments that aren't yours, that God gave you. But can you talk to us a little bit about how you keep your tool sharp, how you stay spiritually fit in a world that you have some days where you're running nonstop? Mm. No doubt. And I think it's something you know, that certainly I, I struggle with at times because you can, you know, John Wooden said, don't mistake activity for achievement. You can get so busy doing something, but are you doing the right things, right? So are you seeking first? So, I mean, learning to say no, right, to good things, to do the right things is hard, all right? Because I don't want to let you down. I don't want to let somebody else down. This is a good thing or something. Else. I get asked to be on some research or do something or maybe, but what are the things and again, it comes back to seeking first his kingdom, his righteousness. It's just like my role now. Well, what does that have to do with my role now? Well, I look for ways to integrate my faith appropriately into my job, right? Through my research, right? Through even I have an initiative on campus right now where I'm, I'm trying to get more resources available for students that are going through spiritual struggles, right? Speaking out on their behalf. So that's something that, that that's something that's been added to my plate. But why? Because it's helping others seek his kingdom. So when I do those, it gives me energy. When I get worn out, it's when it's all those other things. Like I tell the students, nobody goes into coaching because they want to order uniforms or schedule buses, or schedule a <laughs> weight room, right. or go to a booster club meeting, or all these other things you have to do off the court or off the field, right? That's what wears you out because you don't see that as part of your calling. But if you can do those things in a way that shows people, wow, right? Shows people, like, if you have people say, well, why do you do that that way? Or why did you handle that that way? And then you can tell them, you know, that you're just trying to show them Jesus. Oh, okay. Um, so I don't know. I don't, I don't, I wish I had a great answer about there's something like I listen to some of your other speakers. Like I don't take bubble baths. You know, I don't have some kind of thing that's like this, you know, I try, I love, and that's kind of, this is probably a good thing and a bad thing, but coaching was my hobby, right? I don't, I don't hunt or play golf or fish, you know, like impacting young people because I was impacted. That's what I love to do. And now, so, uh, the way I, I get uplifted is trying to stay in the word, spending time with my family. I have three wonderful kids trying to spend time with my family and, and build people that can uh, show Jesus through their actions. I love that. And, and more than anything, yes. You know, it's, it's amazing when you look at the spectrum, right? And that's why I love it. I was talking to servant leader Jonathan Jones uh, the other day, and that stuck with him uh, hearing that bubble bath reset from Coach Joni Taylor. And 
you know, for the wide variety of people who maybe hunt or go fishing or things like that. And I, and I think the key piece in what you said is a lot of it for most of us, even though coaching has turned into our careers and our jobs, it truly was our hobby. It's what we did. It's what our stress reliever was, although it can be stressful. So I totally get that. But one of the things that you definitely placed in there, that's a lot of what resets me is, you know, they tell us that you always need to keep a scripture in your heart. And I tell people this, you know, it's much like I keep an umbrella everywhere I go. Okay. Everywhere, my car, my job, the house, it does not matter. There's going to be one because I don't know forecast or not when the rain and the storm is going to come. But when it does, I want to be ready. And that scripture, right? I don't want to have to chase and find the word and say, okay, Lord, what can I find to help build me? I want one to be there. You know, I listen to Michael Todd a lot and he was talking about this morning. He was saying that we have to make sure you're not gonna remember everything. He's like, I'm a pastor. I don't remember everything that's in that Bible. What I will tell you is it's in my spiritual hard drive. So when I go through troubles and trials, I can pull it down from that hard drive and find it in my heart. There's many, I'm sure. But when you're off balance or when you need some peace that you need to find that's not in the world that the world gives, What's one of those scriptures that can kind of pull you back to balance and place you back to how when things are going crazy? I think it's easy to get caught up in the success if you're having success, you know, and thinking that I did this or or to feel sorry for yourself if you're not having success and then start pointing fingers and making excuses. Um, and th- th- to me, be honest, it seems kind of odd. The one that came to mind, but the one. The one that I, I think about a lot of times is just uh, from Psalm 139, right? Uh, Search me, oh God, right? And know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. And you ask the question, you search me, not because I think I'm good, but because I know I'm not. I can't <laughs> That's be good it. enough, right? Yes. I can't do enough. I can't do enough Bible studies. I can't do enough. Jesus did it for me, right? And we forget that and we want to do it, right? Uh, as coaches and as type A personalities and we're people who are problem solvers and we want we want to make things done and we're gonna we're gonna fix this problem we're gonna fix that jump shot whatever it is and some things you gotta let go it's not you right I think that's good you know I, I love that and I actually love it uh, Vanessa Bell Armstrong she uh, sings a song that's played off of Psalm 139 and she gets to a portion at the end where she says search my heart search my heart Lord And if you find whatever shouldn't be, take it out. And she stays there for about a minute. And I love how you emphasize the fact, I don't want you to search me because because I feel, no, I want you to search me because I know I'm not right. I know that I need you to align me into what you want me to be, right? And when we can get to that place, I feel as coaches and leaders, that leadership becomes, it's not an easy job but it becomes a little bit plainer, that path, right? Because what I tell people all the time is, I'm a servant leader, right? But I need you all to understand that I'm just his mouthpiece, right? I'm just the vessel he's using. And when I can get myself in that place where I say, search me, right? I love that, search me, because if I'm not doing it how you want me to do it, could you please give me the template and the platform so I can follow it? You know, most people, and I don't like to place this on any gender, but you know, Things coming in schedules, okay? Now, I'm not going to say which one, but some genders feel. They don't need those instructions. They can just go ahead and put it together. Right. I always laugh at that because I like to at least look at them 
to get, you know, a picture as to what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm an educator. So are you, right? And so in order to find my swag in my teaching or my method in my teaching, I need to at least know the standard, right? I tell people all the time, you have to know the standard. New teachers, when they come in and I'm mentoring them, you can't just go teach whatever you want to teach. What is the standard? Now, once you know the standard, if you remix that thing and do whatever you need to do so that those learners can understand it, cool. But you have to know the standard. When I think about being a servant leader, when I think about being followers of Christ, as coaches, as educators, leaders, a lot of us are just leading and remixing and we don't know the standard. That standard is Jesus Christ. Amen. Platform was given from Jesus Christ. And so I think that when you place that humble scripture in there that says, search me, right? Because we all need a checkup sometimes. We go to the doctor every year for a physical, right? So I want to have that checkup, Lord, search me. And if it's not how you want it, or if there's something that's not in me, place it there. And if there's something in me that shouldn't be, take that out. I think that's great, coach. That's a, well, I was about to throw my pen through the screen right there. That, <laughs> that was awesome. Amen. Yeah. Hey, but that made me think of, you know, so many times I've done it wrong, you know, and I, my first high school head coaching job, um, we did some good things, but things weren't going quite the way I wanted. Right. And I'm a really positive person. And I, and I tried to coach positively, but what I did not do is I did not intentionally align my faith into my coaching. It was compartmentalized, right? That's what you did on Sunday. That's what you did when you're in your Bible study. It wasn't explicitly, it wasn't publicly, it was not intentionally aligned into my coaching, right? And I made a decision. I asked myself, and I've since heard a lot of other coaches have asked themselves the same question, but I asked myself, if I say I'm a Christian coach, how is my coaching any different from my opponent down there? And if it's not any different, what am I doing, right? And just really, it just, and so I had a player on that last team, and one of the beauties of coaching is seeing them develop as people as they grow up and all their successes and challenges. And I'd stayed in touch with this young man. He wasn't one of my best players. And that's another thing I tell my students. Listen, coaches, we, you know, we say, oh, yeah, I'm a player's coach or whatever, because you get along with your best player. That doesn't make you a player's coach. Do you get along with the kid that's not playing? Do you get along with the kid whose parents complaining? Right. It's not about your best player. Anybody can get along with the best player. Right. So this play, he was not one of my best players, but he was a great kid, great young man, and turned into a great human being, an adult. And uh, he was uh, going out and, and serving and speaking at elementary schools. I mean, this is 10 years out of high school, giving back, just volunteering, started a whole program, mentoring young black men, just doing tremendous things, right? And we're talking, we're chatting uh, online. And uh, he said, man, coach, and this is my last year, because my last year, I got a little frustrated. My positivity hadn't got us where I thought it needed to be. That's what I was thinking in my mind, right? He said, man, coach, we thought you hated us. And that was like a knife to my heart. What a failure as a coach I was, an absolute failure, right, in that aspect, if he really thought that, right? And it just, it made me think again, and it was because I had not aligned my faith with my coaching, right? And I had allowed myself, because I was worried about what the world said you have to do, and the world says you have to coach a certain way. I'll give you an example. When I got hired here at Georgia Southern, they had a, like a, an event for all the new faculty from all across campus. And we're a big campus, 28,000 students, right? And this woman uh, professor says, uh, well, what do you teach? And I said, uh, coaching education. She goes, oh, you're going to yell at me, right? Because that's the stereotype <laughs> that coaches, yeah. you have to yell. If you don't yell, there's something wrong with you, right? They, they wrote in articles about Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy can't win a Super Bowl in Tampa Bay because he's a Christian. 
and he doesn't cuss and he doesn't yell and he can't be a coach and not kill and, and yell and be successful, which is absolutely not true, which he proved in Indianapolis, right? And like when I said I wanted to do my dissertation on Christian college coaches in Division One, people told me you can't find Christian college coaches because you have to cheat to win in college. No, you don't, right? No, you don't. So I, I kind of got off track there a little bit. I got fired up. Sorry. No, I think that was perfect. And, uh, you know, when people talk about Tony Dungy, um, I I specifically start to think about, you know, what is said about myself. And it's the same, you know, uh, she's just too nice. It's going to take her a minute because she's trying to do everything. And you know what? My thing is this. We talked about that definition of winning. Right. And so at the end of the day, yes, I want to win. I'm a competitor. Right. and, And it actually holds true times to him because I teach and coach at the same place where I played and was taught. But at the end of the day, I know for a simple fact that this, I don't have to go outside of my element. I don't have to cuss and berate and belittle these young women in order to get the best out of them, right? Now, that doesn't mean that sometimes that my tone doesn't change per the matter, because when there's eight seconds left and you're not doing my play, it's not going to sound sweet and ginger. However, my character, as you say, it's not compartmentalized. I'm not a Christian and then for 32 minutes, I changed the game up and then when the buzzer sounds, hey, I'm back, right? Not saying I always get it right, but as you said, not only Tony Dungy, but so many of us show that. And what what I find is that when I have students and players who we're at church and no one said anything to you, but now you're giving your life to Christ, we're caught up in the message and we look and see you walking down the aisle, you know, or like you said, young men like you've taught in the past, you pay attention now and they're graduates and they're helping in the world. And, and you realize maybe that year wasn't the best winning year that we had, you know, but we won because these babies walked across the stage, you know, probably one of my su- most successful years here on this campus. I was excited. I was thankful and I was proud. But what I was most proud about is because there was only selective service projects that I needed to go to. My best players, my starters, the ones that were about to sign scholarships, they were the ones that were first on the list to go to those things. And those are the things that even though people say like Tony Judgey and many of you all that may be listening and myself, it's going to take you longer because you want to do everything. Well, you know, what? it will take me longer because we're going to do everything because we want to create good people. And I appreciate that, Coach. I think that was amazing. That wasn't a tangent. It was definitely needed. <laughs> but to add to that, then, so my second head job, I go, I take another job. And uh, so at the first meeting with the parents, this is a public school, but I say, I just want you to know that I'm a Christian and it's going to impact the way I try to do things. I know that puts a target on my back if you don't like what I'm doing, right? And I'm not going to play you, your child anymore, any less based on their beliefs, right? But I just want you to know, right? I had a parent come up after the meeting and said, coach, we've been praying for a Christian coach, Okay. And so that was like, wow, that was awesome, right? And we had, listen, it was outside of uh, Athens, Georgia, diverse area. I had Hindu players, Muslim players, Jewish players. Like we had everything, right? We were all family. So it's not about just, you got to be a Christian. It's like showing the love of Jesus through the way you treat them. So I had a young man, it was a small school, but we had a, a freshman team, JV team of varsity. I thought it was important to have a freshman team, just trying to give kids a chance, even though we probably didn't have the numbers to support it. There was a young man wasn't the greatest athlete, but he really wanted to be on the team, on the ninth grade team, really wanted to be on the team. I mean, he just poured his heart and soul into it. So he ends up making the team. I did all cuts face-to-face. Uh, make it or don't make it. I wanted you to know why. 
right? I was going to tell you and I was going to encourage you to come back if you weren't a senior, right? So this young man, call him in the office, his knees just bouncing, just bouncing. He's so nervous. And I tell him, congratulations, Jacob, you made the freshman team. And just tears of joy. He's just so happy, right? The next year, right before the season, he, he says, can I meet with you? I said, sure, Jacob. He comes in and uh, he says, coach, and his knees bounce again. He's nervous. He says, I just want to let you know I can't play basketball this year. I mean, I'm stunned, stunned, right? Because he wanted it so bad. And I said, why is that? He said, well, I feel God's called me to invest in our FCA. Our FCA is not where it should be. Wow. For a 10th grader to be that mature to give up what he loves yeah. for God? Wow. Well, then he gets a pain in his leg later that fall. He's got a tumor, right? He goes to have surgery. Now I can't walk. He's in a wheelchair. I'm going to visit him in the Ronald McDonald house. And he's in a wheelchair. He's had chemo. He's got no hair. He's like, coach, you sit down and I'm going to go get your lunch. I'm like, Jacob, no, no, no. I'll get it. I'll get the lunch. He's like, coach, sit down. I'm going to bring you. He's in the wheelchair. Going, And I looked at his mom. She just said, just let him do it. <laughs> and so he, go, he brings me my lunch. He's serving me, right? And then he goes into remission. It comes back. He finishes high school. Uh, they said there's no way he'll make up everything. He made up everything. He graduated on time. This wasn't a gimme. Did all the work. Cancer comes back. He passes away. 18 years old. Right? I go to the funeral. By this time, I had left to get my PhD, and now I'm at Georgia Southern as a professor, which ironically is, shares the same last name as this young man, the Hollis Building. I think that's a coincidence. All right? So I go to the funeral, the viewing, the receiving line. The mom's there, so I haven't seen her. Uh, probably in a couple of years, she grabs me and bear hugs me and just slinging me around. And she says, thank you. Thank you for how you treated my child. She didn't say, thank you for that out of bounds play. Thank you for that press offense. Thank you for whatever else thing we spend so much time scheming on. Right. And it was just so powerful to me. Seek first his kingdom. How are we treating people? Love God, love people. How are you treating your players? The players that aren't the best players. All of them from top to bottom. Coach, I'm just sitting here shaking my head because I just, I feel in that moment. And, and I think all of us can, those that are listening now and those that will listen later on the podcast, like that moves you. When you begin to see the fruits of your labor or you begin to see why you really were called, as you mentioned, you were called to this purpose position Moments like that, I can only imagine a pain. You know, if you ever lost a child, a student, that is one of the hardest things to be able to wrap your head around. But to have that parent in one of her most uh, painful moments to lose her child, be able to thank you for treating her son that way. And I think you said it best. Yes, no one's going to remember that play you call. No one's going to remember maybe even their accolade that they received that year. But what they re will remember much like Brittany Ezell says all the time, my record is not going to be my tombstone, right? Yeah. But what do you want your eulogy to say? Not resume building, I'm eulogy building. And I think that's amazing. Coach Hell says down here, he says, love and grace, that's what we need to show our players. So I, yeah, I agree. You know, we're giving grace every day. I'll quickly ask my players, okay, I, I'll take that one, you know, but can you tell me why you feel, what do you feel I should have done better in that moment? And a lot of times what you'll find is they'll start being accountable. Coach, it wasn't you. You told us da 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 And so I, I think that it just really comes down to that same grace that we're given every day. We're not perfect, and neither are they. Mm. You know, 
talking to Coach Cal Hel- Callahan the other day, uh, Cochran, sorry, the other day, and he was saying we have to make sure as coaches and as leaders, the people we're leading, we have to make sure that we don't lose the purpose, right? Lose the purpose. We're, that We look at them in that person. He was talking about as coaches and leaders, we get so mad at them as people that we can lose the purpose. I'm mad yeah. at that game. And now I'm sitting there before I walk in the gym, I'm like, ooh, I don't want to look at that kid. He messed up my play last night. <laughs> Did you lose yeah. the purpose for that moment? They're still people. And we have to give them grace. And I think that is amazing in that moment. I want to take a pause just for a second, Coach. Um, I, have to, I, I really am intentional about this, just in case any of our in-person listeners have a question or a comment um, for you or myself today. I want to give that moment right here, right now. If you have anything, there is no uh, rhyme or reason here with family. If you have any comment or question or anything for coach, you can do that in that moment. Um, just feel free to unmute yourself and let her rip. As the old folks would say, all hearts and minds clear. I like to make sure Coach G, he's not on here today, but I, I told him to always be intentional about that because as y'all can tell, I will get carried away. And especially since uh, Coach on here dropping so many dimes today. You know, Coach, we are all, we didn't just get here, right? We didn't just arrive and have this knowledge and these notions that we, we've had. We've all been helped, right? Um, and I oftentimes, like I told you, and I know after I've spoken to you today, when I speak in the future coming weeks podcast, you're going to hear some of your stuff again because you leave imprints. All of y'all are left imprints on here. You know, you got Coach Huff on here, uh, Coach Derek Jones on here, and I still remember their messages. And that's what we're supposed to do, make people better. Can you give me one person? I know it's probably going to be hard, right? But give me one person that lifted you up that you can really think back on. You mentioned your coach already, which I can already tell he had an impact. But what's one person that truly left an impact in making you the man, the coach, and the leader that you are today? Well, since, since I already talked about my high school football coach, I'll talk about my college basketball coach. Uh, you know, I was fortunate. I just had him as a guest speaker. He's retired now. Jerry Wainwright, he was a guest speaker in my class, uh, Zoomed in. But so I was decided uh, I was going to walk on. Right. And like the line from Rudy, I was five foot, nothing, a hundred, nothing and hardly <laughs> a speck of athletic ability. Right. That was absolutely me. And uh, so we go sophomore year. I'm going to walk on. Right. And this is first year's head coach. Kevin Eastman had been the head coach my freshman year. And uh, so I go right for tryouts. I get mono. Right. And they're like, well, if you if you try out, you know, you, you could die. And I'm young. I'm like, whatever. I'm a. So I went and tried out anyway. I literally, if you've ever had mono, it saps your energy. I did a sprint. And I went and sat on the back of the, the standard or the goal. I couldn't get up, right? And then they're like, wow, is this guy, is he all right? Well, they asked me to be a manager. And I'm like, I'm a baller. What are you talking about? I don't want to be a manager. You know? What? And then so I, at first I said no. But then I thought, oh, that wasn't very smart. You know, if I could learn a lot about the program, I might want to coach. So I went back, I said, yeah, I'll be a man. So I'm a manager in my sophomore year. Um, tried out again in my junior year, and I made it. Right? Division one roster. I had no business being near a Division one roster. And uh, Coach Wainwright, so here I am to walk on. You got all these scholarship people. They're paying $100,000 for them to go to school there. Right. But he treated me as, as good as anybody. It wasn't like I was the walk on. I was a member. I was a Seahawk. We were the Seahawks. Right. And uh, he encouraged me. Um, and still to this day, I get letters and a lot of people, I'm sure some of the people on this call get to, I get letters every week 
Every I played for him 25 years ago. Every week I get letters in the mail from my coach, my college coach. Every week and have since then, right? And he's done that, and it's not me. It's that's what he does for everybody, right? And so he invests in people, even anybody, even the walk-ons. He connects with you long after. It's not what you can do for him, right? I can't do anything for him now, and he's still investing and pouring into me, right? So it's a lifelong relationship. Uh, he, he, he taught me you can be tough and caring at the same time. He taught me the importance of having a sense of humor in a long season, right? And he showed me the importance of preparation because we were one of the most prepared teams in the country, one of the best defensive teams in the country, right? He led uh, Wilmington to the NCAA tournament for the first time in school history, upset at USC, took Richmond to the NCAA tournament, took DePaul to the NIT. Uh, he coached Tim Duncan as an assistant at Wake Forest. Like he's been all over, coached for USA basketball. He's done all these things. He still makes time to write people like me letters every week. That's so awesome, uh, you know, and just hearing that. It's something about those coaches. Like, I, I, and I've had both sides. I think we all have, but I've had amazing coaches. And my college coaches, I actually had three in four years. And people are like, oh, that was inconsistent. Well, yeah, that's one way to look at it. But I was able to be touched by each one of them and still have a connection with each one of them. You know, you can only imagine when the um, – announcement came out about me expecting how excited they were and so when I think about them as coaches and when I think about what they did to impact my life there's no way that I don't move and try to be the person that I want to be for my babies on this court you know and then when they do message me I told you graduation weekend was this weekend and one of my players graduated from FAMU and it was just a beautiful feeling to get the message to say I love you coach thank you coach and just that proud moment that it's like, wow, one, where did the time go? But two, again, I don't remember how many points you averaged. She averaged a lot. But I can assure you, I will always remember that moment where they called her name across the stage and she walked as a college graduate. And that's the win. And as you say, what are we seeking? That's what we should be seeking. So I can only imagine how that makes you feel to now have your college coach come speak to your class that you're trying to build future leaders. So that's amazing, coach. Yeah, it's full circle. So. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I've had I had plenty of negative coaches. That was another reason. I mean, I had a, a negative coach for sure. I said, I don't want anybody to have a coach like this. And I asked my students every year. It's the same thing. Raise your hand if you had a positive coach that positively influenced you. And they raised their hand. And I actually had them write a letter to that coach, right, if, if they can, if they're still alive. Because attitude of gratitude gives you altitude. It lifts you and others up. So we do that. That's the first assignment every year. But then I also ask them, did you have a coach who was negative? And they all raised their hand, right? So that's one, some people ask me, why do you have coaching education? Don't you just go coach? I mean, that's, well, don't you just go teach? Of course, you, we help coaches coach better, faster, right? And you don't think it matters until your kid has a bad one. And then you're like, whoa, now wait a minute, right? Because there's just like any profession, there's good ones and there's bad ones. You'll be a better coach faster if you seek first his kingdom, because you're going to treat the kids better, oh, right? <laughs> just, on, that's girl. as simple as that. I love that. Oh. You did. I'm telling you, and I like it too. Just FYI, I really like this pen, and I would still throw it. Close. <laughs> you know, I think that's amazing. I mean, first of all, your attitude of gratitude gives you altitude. That's one took me away. Okay, but two, we'll be better coaches quicker if we'll seek the kingdom of God. Oh my goodness, it goes back to even what I'm saying. You know, those and some people can't do it. So shout out to the people that can build stuff without looking at a single instruction. I'm not. I'm, but what I am saying is, at the end of the day, if we know what we're doing, you know, one of my, the, I will never forget this, one of the 
favorite things and, and examples that uh, one of my assistant principals did when I first started teaching. It was the first faculty meeting and she came up and she said, okay, she told three of us to go out, didn't say anything. And then she called us in one by one. So the whole faculty's looking and she gives you a piece of paper and say, okay, meet the goal, make the goal. And you're sitting there like, well, where am I shooting this? I don't know. Make the goal. And I'm like, okay, what do you, where do you want me to throw it? Make the goal. And so you just kind of throw it wherever. And all, after all three of us did it, she said, isn't it hard to reach a goal or reach a mark if you have no idea what your instructions are? And it goes back yes. to exactly what you just said. Mm-hmm. We'll be good coaches, but we're better coaches faster if we seek ye first the kingdom of God. That is so powerful, Coach. Amen. Yeah. Goodness. You know, as we start to close up here, I promise, you know, y'all are so amazing. I can end up talking to you forever. There are, of course, two signature questions that if you listen to the podcast regularly and you've been that, you know, I ask. And I think it's amazing, one, because it, not only is it a staple for the call, right? And I anticipate what your answers will be. But I think it really does remind us, much like I said about that umbrella. I don't live my life in a way just with an umbrella. I always want to remember who Christ is. Am I good and am I bad? right? Because when he's good, we want to praise him. We say he's good, right? And then when things happen, when those storms come, we forget how good he is. He's still good, y'all. And so that being said, one of the things that I do continuously is I'll say God is, right? And that may be written in some of my binders that I have of you all. And that may be just reflective in my mind. And I'll go through and I'll say what he is, what he has been, what he hasn't been, because we forget that too. Sometimes those blessings that you feel you didn't receive was blessing in itself, right? What did they say? God's rejection is your, his redirection is not rejection. It's redirecting you into what you didn't need in the first place, right? But I ask you, and you don't get a Rolodex like me. You get one. <laughs> God is. What would you say God is to you? Well, I'll tell you, for, for this one, I have to rely on my mom's late husband was a religious scholar. I am not, right? And he, I mean, he wrote books about Jesus, which blows my mind. If you're going to write about anything, and he always said it was God is love. It's First John four eight, right? God is love, and you think about it, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you've done. You are loved, right? Everybody, everybody is welcome. Everybody's, you know. And you think about what God did for us with Jesus. He sent His only begotten Son for us, for me, for you, a sinner, me that that constantly screws up, right? So it's just amazing how much, and, and when you have kids, right, and you you know it's coming, right, it's just a different, it's a different feeling amazing when you look at your child and to think that God sacrificed Jesus for us, who didn't deserve it, who something? can't deserve it. You know, mine is still brewing, and I'm telling you right now, I, I can't imagine, right, yeah. Not only that you sacrificed for me, you sent your only son for me, I don't do right. I don't listen, right? You give me instructions. I go building what I want to look at them, right? <laughs> right? I do all of those things. And yet, and still, you still say, I love you in spite of, right? Yeah. Many people in our lives that love us, but I'm telling you, it's with conditions unconditionally. And that's the blessing in it. I love that, coach. You know, this, of course, is the servant leader where we talk about servant leadership and coaches and education. And we try to work the platform to just create it. We tell people, we got to be better leaders, right? Did you teach them how? We tell people, you got to serve others. Did you show them how? So when talking about servant leadership, you hear people talk about, I'm a servant leader. 
hashtag it. That's why you'll see me all the time. I'll hashtag it when I see it, just to show people an example of what it is. But I like to create that longest definition, that fullness thereof, as people would say, of people like yourself. If I were to ask you those two words, servant leadership, what they are, what would you say servant leadership is to you? I love the question because it's something that I've been researching even before I went back to grad school. You know, uh, the man that coined the phrase in 1970, you know, how he came up with it. And but you think about it to me. So I've looked at a lot of different leaders and I've studied a lot of different leaders. And it was in our mission statement as a code. Our mission statement was building servant leaders for life. That was the first part of our mission statement. Right. But to me, what it comes down to is how do you accomplish that? And a servant leader loves to lead. They don't just love to lead. Some people love to lead. You know what I'm saying? They like to be in charge. But a servant leader loves to lead. And that's a huge difference because I'm going to find out what matters to Chelsea. What are your goals? What are your dreams? And how can we fit that then into the team? Because I'm going to invest in you. I'm going to serve you versus saying you've got to fit in this predetermined, you know, whatever role I'm looking for. I think that's golden coach. And I think one of the biggest things is that as coaches and leaders, we come in with this great plan, right? And it's, it's, it's great to plan. You need to, right? I mean, many of us, we've had middle school coaches all the way up to college coaches to big time programs, right? So you better walk in there with a plan. But one of the things I love the most about people like yourself, and I'm sitting here looking at coach Jones and coach Huff and the many people that are on here as well, like, I don't even know you, but I do know the fact that you are here to hear this message, um, that is your, you know, call and how you lead your life. We've got these great plans, but one of the things that you pinpointed that's so important, where do those that we lead fit into that plan? Where do those that we lead fit into that plan? And, and, and you have specifically laid that out. One, you said some people don't want to just, you know, lead. They want to take over. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But I think in, in terms of what you said, you know, we got to love to lead. And in order to do that and be servant leaders, we have to know how we can better help someone else and how that making them better fits into the plan. And I think when we can do that, coach, you said it best, you get the best out of that person you're leading at that point. You really do. Mm -hmm. You really do. Coach, I'm telling you, I'm going to have to come up there and like be in your class <laughs> Wait, are y'all still virtual or something right come now? On. Like, I know hey, we're done. fully online. Come on. But I'm going to have to come sit in that class and be a guest or something because I'm telling you, if I'm getting this, right, in just this segment, I can only imagine when the role is reversed and you're leading and running the show, the different nuggets that I would be able to take away um, from your course and just, you know, the, the experience that you've had from so many different facets as, a, as an athlete in your own right, a coach in your own right, and now coaching the coaches. But you started this message in a way that I knew that was going to be powerful for us all. You said, many people say, put your money where your mouth is. I said, I'm going to put my life where my mouth is. And coach, I'm a witness. <laughs> I, I know before, I definitely know now, I'm a witness that you don't just say it. You mean it. And I have been enriched just in this hour. And I appreciate you, coach. I appreciate you just for your message, for what you do, but your authenticity in what you do. That's the, the, the key piece that blows me away. It's authentic. It wasn't just for talking to me. It's how you leave and lead your life. And so I appreciate you so much just for coming on today to make us all better. Well, thank you. And, you know, and I've been on podcasts before, but as a host, you are phenomenal. 
And the, oh, and the thank way, you, Coach. No, seriously, the way, because some people, they they'll ask a question, they don't even listen to the answer. But the way you can connect your previous speakers, you can connect your life, you can connect the things that I said earlier, uh, you do a fantastic job. And, and I get a lot out of just being here. And so thank you for having me. It truly was an honor. Yeah, I appreciate it. But you know why, Coach, I tell people, a lot of times, like I was telling you before he came on, my most excited moment is I'm about to compress this down and listen to you when I hit home. Because it's different being the host and actually then becoming an active listener at that point. But I grow so much. And like I told you before, talk about some professional development. hundred. I'm going to count it up for real, but I'll be like 180 speakers full from all sports, all levels, and all countries to help me be a better person on one of the best things in life, leading and serving how God would ask us to in our sport, in our, in our facet. And so Coach, I thank you. I really appreciate you. I know that we'll continue talking and, you know, just leading together. Um, before we head out, do you mind saying a prayer to close us out today? Oh, I'd be honored to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Father God, I just thank you for this opportunity to bring together like-minded people who are searching for the, the best way to live out their calling that you've placed upon us. You've given us this opportunity, whether it's to be a podcast host, a coach, an administrator, a parent, however you've presented the opportunity to let us show the light of Jesus to everyone we encounter, whether it's positive or negative, that we can show them that your love is more powerful than anything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, Coach. Coach, my favorite line of the call you are now part of the Servant Leader family. I thank you so much for your time. We're glad to have you. Thank you so much, sweetheart. We thank you so much to have you and, and, and anything that you ever need. All you have to do is reach out. Likewise. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.